0: Alan, thank you for coming on to the, uh, to the, to the podcast. Um, so you started your adolescent footballing career at Bol- Bolton Lads Club. You then moved on to Manchester United. So you were Sir Alex Ferguson's first ever acquisition at the football club. You then moved on to Exeter City uh, and then sadly your footballing career came to an end down to a serious back injury. Since your footballing career, you've re-engaged with academia. You're now a doctor in sports psychology. You're also a big advocate for raising mental health awareness, especially in football as well as maybe away from football as well, <coughs> and you're also a co-commentator for BBC Devon. First question then is what's your first memory of, of playing football, what was, it, what was life like growing up in, in Bolton?
1: Yeah, good, um, like a lot of other young people, you know, my dad was uh, a reasonable footballer himself, uh, got to a decent level, played for like a team like Bury and played in Oldham's Reserve, so like lower league stuff so I had a bit of a pedigree there but uh, he always laughs me dad and said he's, he met me mum at 1920 and then his football career kind of sort of went downhill <laughs> after that but uh, yeah just some good times really um just uh in the garden with my dad at home and he he put some uh, goals together for us that we that we used to sort of practice in and and uh, we always used to live out like dramatic moments it'd always be like the last minute in cup finals or uh, the last kick of the game to win a league or something like that, all these scenarios that kind of like uh that hinged on a last minute thing. So we had some great times and uh all I can remember, Chrissy, is any time we went on holiday or any time we kind of went uh we had a bit of spare time, I'd probably be right in the park and my dad would be and my brother and would be would be setting up goals and okay. my dad was kind of a Manchester lad, so, you know, okay. like I traditionally like a lot of families, uh, usually follow the, the sort of the lineage and uh, you know his love of United, you know back into the. He used to talk about the Busby Babes in the fifties, and then you know my dad used to watch United, uh, in the sixties and the seventies with like the best Lord Charlton era, and and uh, he said like some some great memories from them. So like a lovely Man United was kind of passed on to myself, and uh, so whether I wanted it or not, um, that that's the way it was, and uh, you know and and that sort of love of United was kind of formed from from quite a young age really.
0: Playing football coming into kind of your teen- uh, teenager teenager. Um, age, opportunity to go and and play for Manchester United in terms of their youth set up, can you talk to me a little bit about that experience? I went to a few clubs
1: first before I joined United, I'd I'd had trials at Bolton Wanderers so they they offered me schoolboy forms, I'd also been down to the blue side of Manchester, had trials with City and uh, again that was um, uh, the chief scout at the time was a fella called Ken Barnes and uh, he, he sort of said like he offered me schoolboy forms as well but uh, I always got advised that I just, I hope, just don't rush into anything. Um, I was training in United's School of Excellence at the time. Uh, they used to train on a Monday and Thursday night at a place called The Cliff in, uh, in Lower Broughton. And um, I ended up sort of training there. And then what happened, Christy, was United had a, an extended trial around the Christmas period. Uh, uh, this is going back a long time now it was the Christmas period in 1986 so Sir Alex Ferguson arrived in November 86 and I think he wanted to sort of put a stamp down and you know at the time I think City had kind of the you know, maybe the best side of Manchester in, relating, in relation to recruiting youth players, they, they were doing quite well in the FA Youth Cups and uh, I got invited down there and I had a really good trial, I played really well uh, in, that, in that week and bizarrely enough it went over the the new year so I got invited down to the cliff I think it was about the 28th of December and then they had to stay over because only 14 at the time mm. stay over in halls of residence and that that stayed over like the new year's eve into new year's day so it was a bit crazy so we went to watch it and took us to watch the first team play on new year's day and at the end of that trial it, the the fella who was the youth development officer at United got a guy called Joel Brown so like we'd like to offer you terms now you're thinking, well, I've been at Bolton, I've been at City, you know, like United offering me, I think this is kind of the time. So in, in a funny kind of way, it's probably like I would say maybe uh, my heart ruling my head, you know, and if, if any youngster is coming through football at the moment, I'd probably advise them just to make sure it's right for you. Yeah. You know, Just because it's your team that you follow doesn't mean that the coach is right, the coaches are right. And uh, so, yeah, so I signed for for United and remember after, after that, bit of news where they said we'd like to sign you, uh, I got a lift home from the trial and just like sped down my drive in through the front door You know, I said to my mum, it was, my, my dad was at work, but my mum like United want me to sign which was amazing and then like when my dad arrived from what used to get in about five half five you know to tell him that as well I think it was like a very yeah, very very mm-hmm. proud moment so yeah it was a, a over the moon so yeah that's that was kind of how I, I got recruited into, into United.
0: A key point that you mentioned then. So you said in terms of selecting the team to to go. Obviously you had different trials, but selecting Manchester United, you said the team was right and the culture was right. What what was right about Manchester United within within those well, areas?
1: It, I think I think it's it's kind of like this is like the other way around. I'm saying it it might not have been right for me, you know, just because I sort of signed for United, my heart ruled in my head. You know, the culture was very ruthless. It was very harsh. Um,
0: in what sense?
1: I think I think it was just uh, I think just different times in football. Yeah. You know, it was quite yeah. I think I think more aligned with working class tradition. A lot of masculine, ruthless kind of brutal behaviour. You know, so, so I come through the kind of the B teams and the A teams. The B teams is kind of like what you played as a, still a schoolboy, and then the A team was kind of the first step on the ladder, as it were. So back then, Chris, you had four teams: B team, A team, reserves. Right which is the under 23s now and then the first team so B team schoolboys a team used to be a mix used to get under 18s young pros uh, young young schoolboys in that like a blend in there and then the reserves again a mix you sort of your, your younger pros and some first teamers who had not in, not been involved with the first team and then obviously the big prize then getting into that first team but yeah it was it was a funny it was a funny culture because it was kind of built on you know we had to clean boots back then we had to clean toilets uh, we had to sweep dressing rooms and you know i used to sort of remember used to get the bus down to the cliff training ground quite early in the morning as an apprentice we used to be there for about seven o'clock and we used to you had to pump the balls up, we had to get the bibs out all the cones ready for for all the teams that were going to train that morning uh, you know might even be cleaning boots before the training started And if there was anything wrong, if there was a flat ball or some bibs had not been loaded onto the van or a pair of boots had not been cleaned at first, you could have like a court case. So you'd have to go in front of all the other apprentices and it's like a sort of a, uh, you'd get like a judge and you have to hear your case and you have to say like uh, what had happened. And uh, just some of the punishments were a little bit like, you know, a bit out of order. You know, if if you'd have said like uh, you're going to United but you're going to get caked in boot polish or something because you're not putting balls up or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff and you know it, it, some people say, well it, it brings you on, it builds your character, but to me that there's maybe better ways of doing it than that. And I think I think in modern football, you've got to be careful that you don't go from the extremes of that to like the extreme somewhere else where yeah. you don't sort of build any character and everything's done for. it's very easy. Mm. you know got to be careful you don't trip up there. because um, ultimately you know Christy, elite level sports tough, it's not easy. Uh, it's all about you know the further you go up in the game, it's all about winning. It's all about results. If you don't find results, you know people's jobs could be on the line, managers' jobs could be on the line. But you know for, we've got to remember there we was only sixteen, seventeen years old, and and uh, you know there was some some quite sort of brutal stuff, and it, it it brings you on in a you don't see how it's bringing you on at the time, but you know it definitely helped. I think with the, with character and resilience, no doubt about that. But to me, it was just more on the more of the extreme end of mm. of maybe what
0: I expected. So Alex was there at that period. Was he a bit of a, an icon for you? Was he someone that you looked up to? Were you were there to impress him, as, as well as you know other coaches there? Could you tell me a little bit about his presence at the yeah. football club?
1: Well, How it used to work back then was the, the, if you play if you was in the B team of the A team, the B team used to play at a place called Littleton Road. It's about a mile and a half from the cliff, and the A team used to play on the cliff and. Uh, the first team would play in the afternoon, three o'clock kickoff. So there was a lot more three o'clock kickoffs back then. And uh, what used to happen was, chances are, if you know Sir Alex Ferguson or Archie Knox was the assistant manager under Sir Alex at the time, they'd come and have a look at the junior games. And uh, so I think they were very invested in youth, and they, and they were sort of they wanted youth to do well. They wanted to try and promote youth because I think when Sir Alex Ferguson arrived at United, he kind of wanted to tap into Sir At Busby, you know, and almost keep that youth development going and i think i think that was kind of like probably one of the initial premises why he took a load of local youngsters on to kick it off if that makes sense and uh he, he was he was just what what my sort of my my main memories of sir alex were he was kind of just a just ruthless just wanted to win everything you know even if it was a game of cards or snooker or table tennis or you know and he used to he used to play head tennis after training had finished uh, himself and Archie Knox had come into like a little gym area and they'd say like to the apprentices, right, we want you a game of head tennis. And you're thinking, right, I've had a tough morning's training session. We've done all our duties, we've swept up and everything, clean stuff, clean all the boots. So a bit tired, ready to probably go home now. But he could have you there for hours because he'd play and play and play until they won. So if it, if it, if you were sort of beating him in a game and it got to like you play a sort of best of three first of 21 and it was like you got to sort of like 21, 20, make a stupid rule up and say, oh, you've got to win by three clear points and all that. And, and you think, it could go on for hours, and you think, I've got to get my bus back here. <laughs> I've got to get my bus back to Bolton, what's going on? But but that was just a measure of him, he was just, just a
0: winner. Did you, like that, Did you like that, Was it healthy competition, or was it, I know you're a big av- advocate for mental health, and yeah. you know some people could take that in you know, a positive, some could take that in terms of a negative, and I'm sure yeah, yeah. You know, you're a lot more experienced on that psychological, perspective than me, but was, was that healthy in terms of, in terms of that element obviously we see the outcomes of success from that but yeah. internally was, was that healthy did that affect players at all or
1: I think I think for a lot of it you know you see in academic literature you look a lot about the, the power of a coach they are quite powerful people because yeah. ultimately in a way your destiny is in his hands so it's like you try, you're trying to be this authentic self and start to stick to your values but then you've got to think well you know, if I don't kind of like conform in a way, mm. uh, if I don't do what they want you to do, you know, I'm not going to be at the club very long. So I think that that challenge, I think, is is quite difficult. You know, Sir Alex, I'm sure you've heard of his famous hairdryer as well. Mm. You know, and used to sort of test you out a little bit. And mm. but I think I think testing you out sometimes is not necessarily meaning it in a in a sort of a a vociferous way, like a nasty way. I think he was kind of just—he might just throw one into just to see how he reacts to it. Mm. But I think you know, because you're only a young kid, 16, 17, you don't really understand that, you know. And I think I think what you have got to be careful of here is is players just just retracting into a shell a little bit, you know, and, and not expressing themselves as, as much as much as they could because, you know, you got you got to be careful here because f- fear is on this kind of borderline if you're not careful because if you're fearful. You know, i've seen it not just at united you've seen it in a lot of football you just go safe with it mm. and you're not expressing yourself as much as you can do so when the ball comes to you you just knock it to the winger just simply and you think to yourself if your confidence was high if you wasn't playing really without that element of fear you'd probably drive forward with the ball and maybe try to beat a couple of players and mm. so i think there was that element but but it's it's like anything else i think what they were preparing you for is they were preparing you for the harsh world of professional football and we we know it's it's a tough world in there a cruel world in a way, you know, it's almost like paradoxical. You've got all that all that sort of difficulty, we you've got all that beauty on the other side as well when things do do go well. But um you know, I, I probably didn't realise it at the time, probably realise it a lot more after, when you look back.
0: Because
1: yeah. you're thinking, well, if you can't react to something um in that sense, how are you gonna cope at Anfield? How are you gonna cope at you know Highbury back then Arsenal's ground, how are you gonna cope at Main Road City Ground? When you've got loads of people shouting abuse at you or getting on your back so they're just testing your character out mm. but for me you know because i'd come from a quite almost like a little bit of an academic background done quite well at school maybe a little bit sensitive a little bit shy there maybe didn't work as well on my personality but mm. um but yeah i think i think what so it's almost like invisible skills that you've picked up you don't realize them at the time but they pay off for you mm. maybe later on down your life when you when challenges hit mm.
0: I'm sure, you know, the famous Class 92, yeah. um, your time was just before that, wasn't it? it was. So, it was. was there any one that, that you played with that, that yeah. stood out, that, that made a significant career?
1: Well, the, the, probably the main one, because he was so good, he played underage, was writing gigs. You know, he was in our kind of youth team. We took him on a, uh, we went to this European tournament in Italy called the Grossi Marrera. He was only a schoolboy then, but he was, he was just showing. So, I think, called precocious as youngsters, I think we knew that. He kind of had a—he a, was destined for a for a good career, and I remember sort of turning up once to the cliff. We were just sort of watching the training. Uh, used to sort of go like under 12s used to be on under thirties, and then under fifties might be seven to eight or something. And we were just watching, and the session before was like Ryan Giggs was in it. It was, a, it was only spindly, thin, small lad. But I remember Eric Harrison? He was like the sort of the coach who oversaw that that group of players. Came over to us on the side and said. Um, we'll watch this lad here. He's going to be some player, but well, I was only 50 at the time. I didn't really know much about a thirteen-year-old. But
0: you have a different last name. It was Ryan Wilson, wasn't it? That's
1: right. Yeah. yeah. So so Ryan Ryan Wilson are kind of originally. I think you know Ryan played for England Schoolboys as a as a as a young player, and then sort of took his his uh, his mum's name um, after that. And uh, but he just just standing out, just pace and skill, and you know had that sort of great left foot of his. He could score goals and. You know, even playing at 15, 16, and under eighteen games in reserve games, he, he was standing out. And but uh, there was another kid on the right wing whose life didn't turn out, unfortunately, as well as as, as Ryan's. That was like a Lady Doherty. He was a, an outstanding player too. And uh, Oliver Cave, the sort of the Times journalist, worked writes for the Athletic. Now he wrote a book about A.D. called "Forever Young." And uh, at the time, you talk about two players and their destinies. You know, Ryan went on to make like nine hundred and sixty odd games. And, won Premier Leagues, Champions Leagues, FA Cups. He won it all. And Aidy, unfortunately, had like a a serious knee injury. Uh, He picked up a cruciate ligament damage and he couldn't quite get to to full fitness and drifted away from the game. And uh, unfortunately, Aidy was he was dead at 27 years old, uh, a day short of his of his birthday, you know, which was which was tragically sad. But, um, you know, that's just again shows you the the fine lines in football, you know, how, how sort of it can work out for you or it, it can't quite work out for you. Yeah, it's it's not easy. Um, some of the coaches were fantastic. I Brian Kidd was my B team coach who's just who just um, who's just sort of retired from Man City. Um, he, he had a, a fantastic coaching career, but he was my junior coach. He was brilliant. Like he was Brian was almost like full of praise and uh, he, he was expressive and he sort of you know he told players to enjoy themselves and things like that. And they also had like a, um, another youth coach called Nobby Styles. who was a member of the '68 team that yeah. won the European Cup. Again, a United legend won the World Cup with England. He was very, very vocal in his praise. But Eric was like, so like you talk about good cops and bad cops in football, and that stereotypically tends to be the case. You might get a manager who's quite vocal, but then you might get assistant managers a little bit more arm around the shoulder until like I get in the balance right so so you, that was the journey eric was was tough and then as you went into the first team you had alex sir alex bad cop and actually Knox, even badder cop like two tough lads in the first team environment so um but again it's, it's just you know it's, it's a time it was a period that you know i wish i'd have enjoyed it more in a way i wish i'd appreciated it more but as you, as you're traveling through on your journey alive it's just almost like you look back at it and you think, oh, I, you know, I enjoyed it. We did okay, but like obviously, like roads led me to something else. So um,
0: that that's that's kind of how it panned out for me. It kind of come to a conclusion at Man United. So, what what was your thought process then? Because obviously you mentioned boyhood club and everything that you you've inspired to be was at Man United. Devastated,
1: De- absolutely devastated with that. Um, so I've got I've done like two year YTS as I say, got a year pro, and. Uh, I'd have a decent season. Now I kind of like knocking in the reserves a little bit and playing in the 18, probably most of all. But the pro- the trouble back then was United's first team. They only had one sub or two subs, so like one sub and then it evolved to to a couple of subs. So you you're fighting against, you know, if if you don't if you don't like somebody in the first team gets in, you say Viv Anderson. You know Clayton Blackmore all coming at right back. If Clayton got injured, I'd put Mickey fielding at right back. If Mickey wasn't available, Mike Duxbury'd play there. If Mike wasn't available, Dennis Irwin'd cross. So you're thinking like you're about seven or eight down the pecking order. So, so I think you you know I, I would say I was a good footballer, a, a decent footballer, but I needed a bit more to get into sort of you know like. Showing maybe what I can do, but you know, at the end of the day, Chris, like anything else in life, you can't do anything without a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a chance to prove yourself. And uh, but yeah, i had a decent season, and you know, how it worked back then was you kind of knew that contracts were up and there was going to be you know a bit of deselection. And so, I had a decent season, and um, we've gone down to the wire actually in in, in the sort of the A team league We we've pipped City to the league last game of the season. Uh, they used to have a training ground over at Platt Lane. I think Manchester University have got it now. That's where City used to mm. used to be before they went to Carrington, obviously to the Etihad. And uh, it was like a sort of a come to this last game of the season where I think we were a point ahead of them or something. So if they won, they'd win the league. If we won, we'd get it. And uh, we we'd done it. We we beat them two one. And after the game, Fergie was watching, and he said he said you've been you've been brilliant this morning. So he, he singled me out for a bit of praise, which was which was fantastic. So, I thought with contracts coming up, I thought, oh, that sounds all right then. We won the league, you know, and opportunity here maybe to get another year or two or something like that. And so so we'd done that. And then in the week, about the Tuesday or Wednesday, it was Brian Whitehouse, who was the reserve team manager, had come down to the tr- changing room so like, All right, Tongi, yeah, Gaffer wants to see you. So I thought, Here we go. So I, was, I remember looking at Brian for clues, you know, like, because he's telling face, like, is he happy? Is he sad? And I was just like following like a little dog up the stairs at the cliff knocked on the door, like he said, uh said, Gaffer Song is here, Alan song. is here, right? Send him in, sort of closed the door and he said like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to move you on, son. Uh, we don't think you're sort of progressing enough to become a first team player here, so. And it was like, I, I, I sort of wrote it on my PhD, like it was like my body caved in, like, it was like.
0: You're on your own? it? The-
1: yeah, just because, you know, you're classified as an adult then, aren't you? So I would be sort of like, um, you know, I, I would have turned uh, around that nineteen, eighteen, yeah. half, 19, so so yeah, it's just body caved in and, you know, I remember saying to him, like, you know, thanks for, you know, my opportunity and all that, and part of like The Apprentice now, isn't it? You know, you've had your heart broken, but it's like, I suppose it's finding, like, truly who you are, because you're stripped bare, aren't you, and, like, your character has got to see you through that moment, because it's like, you know, you talk about, like, critical moments and difficult times and, you are know, like, that was one in my life, absolutely. And uh, you know, he said like you've done, you've not let me down. You've you've been a great lad, blah blah blah. But that's not a lot of compensation because you want to play in that first team. That's the that's the thing. And so I remember going out after that, and uh, you know, as brutal as it seems, I had to go trading after that. And uh, I remember um, went to Littleton Road and just I think you you you're just a sea of emotion. I think you are sort of all over the place. Mm. And like you're not there, your body's not there. So like people were pinging balls to you in training and your touch wasn't there. And I think I remember it was Paul Lint actually, like had a go at me for sort of like a bad touch. And I'm thinking to myself, I've just been like my heart bro. like you haven't a clue. And you know, you, you just don't understand. And uh, so I think that's it in football, Chrisy. I think once you, you know, you suffer something like that and you walk out those training grounds from the, for the last time, you think the phone's going to ring and you think it's possibly a temporary blip. But, you know, time tick starts ticking by over the summer and like no phone calls, like what am I gonna be doing and you know, I was trying to keep myself fit a little bit and, you know, just trying to keep myself ticking over and uh, I had to uh, I had to join a non league side just to keep myself, you know, right. the fitness up, yeah. really. And uh, but yeah, I think I think in relation to the, the you know, the deselection element, the mental health element, you know, that that was a tough time in my life, yeah. that one. Just just, just the shock to the system, really, because you don't see it coming. You know, every football, every young footballer's got dreams. Of course, they have, and you've got to have them. But the data tells us that not gonna. There's not going to be many who realise it. And I think, I think it's getting that almost like a, a player to understand that this could happen to you, and almost trying to repair and I think when when it does happen, you're almost like still not prepared for it in a way. Mm because you know every pair and every player will think they're going to be the next first team player which is, you know that's the dream isn't it? But when it kind of doesn't work out for you and it doesn't happen it's almost like you see yourself as a failure, like low self-esteem and I remember crossing roads and you know where I live because I didn't want to speak to anybody because ultimately what happened is since about 14, 15 you go on this journey and people are sort of like put you on that pedestal, like Alan the footballer. Mm. You know, it Everyone knows you as that. They do because yeah. you know you think about 16, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. There's so many people asking for tickets. They're asking for balls signed. Uh, Can you get me this? Can you get me this picture signed? And well, what happens is when you hit your critical moment, and when you hit that moment of like disappointment and almost like tragedy in a way, like everyone disappears. I so know. Even some mates in a way, you know, and I think that's maybe one of the harsh learning things that you find as well, and that is, just, just be careful of hangers on us, you know, I bet there's loads you know, young, around young footballers, but, uh, so yeah, so I kept, I kept myself fit and ticking over and then um, got the opportunity to go down to Exeter.
0: So how was that? So obviously leaving the Greater Manchester area, big change, yeah. I, I suppose you grew up a lot even more leaving home, yeah? tough.
1: Uh, I never, I, I always say this like, so some of the podcasts I've done for the Exeter lads, and this is not sounding cruel. I didn't know where Exeter was. <laughs> if if it had showed me about Christmas, even though I re- had a reasonable education, like GCSEs, if they said uh, like, from a geographical perspective, where's Exeter, probably struggled to find. I don't know that. So yeah, I did a bit of reading with them. I, you know, I found that, you know, I knew, knew that they kind of got promoted from the sort of the old Division Four as it was then. So the Premier League used to be Division One, yeah. and then one, two, three, four, and down, So I knew they were in Division Three. And uh, the great thing with that is, when I was at United, I got chose to go and play in a, a football league representative team in Russia, and the two managers then were Alan Ball, and Laurie McMenamy, like sort of a fame, quite quite famous in football. So Borley remembered me. So Balli was born in the kind of like, uh, a town next to me. I, I was grew up in a little place called Little Lever, and Borley was Farmworth. He was the kind of next yeah. person. on, so, so being a World Cup winner. And he said, like he watched a few Resi games over that, he kind of remembered me from that. So he offered me an opportunity to go and play at Exeter. Uh, so, so off I went. I had a, a little fiesta at the time. I remember me dad dra- drawing me a map down the M five, M six, M five, some motorway all the way, and then almost just into another world. Then you know, another culture to get used to. You know, Man United had been very. All your kit's done for you. You get boots when you want. You know the club's like one of the biggest in the world, and then you arrive at Exeter. You have to wash your own kit. Uh, no, no canteen at, at the training ground. So into this, into this other world, and you know, fighting for my life in a, in a way to try and you know re- resurrect my career.
0: Were You keen to prove a point?
1: Were you or? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great question, Chris. I think I think how I saw it was I thought the story's not over yet. Yeah. You know. I, at 18, it could have been easy for me to do what a lot of young players do, which is fantastic now, and that's pick up their education again, and maybe you know align that with maybe playing in the non-leagues. Now, the, the brilliant thing in the modern days, you've got these fantastic degrees, and you can pick up your degree but play football to a good level as well. So there was nothing like that for mm. for us back then. So in, in my time, in my culture, it's almost like uh, university was kind of seen as. Um, it, it wasn't going to be my natural choice at 18. Um, you know, maybe, maybe back when I was a lot younger was maybe not as many percentage of people went to uni. I always seen uni as like, <laughs> remember like the old open university programmes in the morning when you have like these mad physics teachers and they're doing loads of statistics on boards and that's how I re- that's how I saw uni. So you can kind of think, well I don't know if that's for me, my personality and my what I want to sort of go on and do, um, so so the choices that I had was kind of like, yeah, I just wanted to sort of prove it to myself I could do it, you know, and I, I knew the journey wasn't over, you know. You're thinking, well, I've been at United since I was 14 years old, surely like someone will take a chance on me, and but I think I think it was quite a courageous step that, but it's like a lot of young people now, isn't it? They, they leave home and go to university at kind of 18, 19, and you know, it's quite a courageous step that. Could have to bring it brings you on a bit. You have to go and stand on your own two two feet a little bit. So I went into these digs with a load of lads, six six seven lads, footballers into into this sort of uh, house. You know, I'd shared a bedroom with that like, player, and you know, two or three other lads in different bedrooms, etc. We all let round the table together, and the family they were there at the time really looked after us. They were they were great, and and then it was like moving again. You know, trying to get my career moving, and uh, uh, yeah,
0: just an uh, in, in, in an interesting step. You mentioned the, the the differences to to Manchester United. What was it like in terms of playing in the league? Was it more physical, more demanding, more of a yeah, yeah. an opportunity to express yourself? Yeah. How, how was that in terms of playing? I think I think Man United were kind of like
1: uh, the the quality of players is like you're talking elite footballers here. So at United, if you got the ball at fullback, you'd know that say Giggs, it would be spinning into the corner, yeah. so you could just like, clip it into him, whereas. You know, maybe you might not get that at like a league or two down, and I think I think the speed as well and the physicality was was different. Um, you know, speed at, at United was kind of like if you didn't close someone down quick enough, the ball would be gone past you. Whereas maybe a little, it slows a little bit as you go down the the league system. But the th- the good thing with Alan Ball is he wanted to play football. Um, you hear a lot of tales of players moving downwards and they were in midfield and the ball was going over their head all the time. And but Ball he wanted you to play and. And he encouraged that which was fantastic and uh, you know i managed to i managed to sort of get some get me debut played against wigan athletic funny encounter got beat 1-0 in the 89th minute welcome to professional football and um, you know fr- from then it was kind of just trying to establish myself and just try and get into the team on a on a kind of a regular basis um but again it's like anything else we we know that's one thing i know about pro football it's not easy it's tough, you know. You can have like losses of form. You can have injuries, little niggly injuries. Uh, culture was very different back then. You train sort of in the morning, uh, nine times out of ten in the afternoon. You would probably end up in the bookies or a pub or having a games of pool and you know just just a lack of education. I think around looking after yourself. It's almost lost in this world. And I've seen some of the exits I had recently. We had a vets game and. Uh, they were saying like we're, that our recollection of it was like a, it was just like a three or four year stag stag do really. You played your football and then it's just like mad off the field. You know you, you talk about the social media explosion now and the camera phones and all that and uh, or Instagram and all that and you think like if, if it was there back then good grief, uh, it would have been a nightmare. But uh, yes, lack of education, lack of understanding and football was kind of just embracing almost like this overlap of the old into the new mm. you know i think you know, gary neville he speaks about it and about the sort of the united liverpool side in the early 90s and talks about the drinking culture that some of the teams had. and he, he said well when canton arrived if we knew we would behave ourselves a little bit more that would give us an advantage and um, you know that it started to turn and the premier league obviously arrived christie didn't it mm. and you know the, almost in a way very, very scientific now, isn't it? we got, you know, performance analysis, the scrutiny, the nutrition, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of aids now, haven't we, in relation to heart rates and trackers and, you know, everything's sort of measured now. Um, so, you know, it, it has exploded like a, uh, quite a lot. But back then, you look at it and you think, yeah, t- tough world and definitely a lot of mental health related material
0: and issues going, going around. Just on, just on that point in terms of the, the multidisciplinaries that you see in the modern game in comparison to your own, do you feel that you could have been represented a little bit more better? You get a feeling that if, maybe if you were represented from another figure, especially going into those conversations with Sir Alex and finding another club, do you think that, would, that could have helped you at all in terms of your professional career? Yeah. Just curious to find out what you think Absolutely. about
1: that. I think I think what was happening back then, is kind of the top players in the game. So you you know your lads who were around the club like your Brian Robsons, Norman Whitesides, Paul McGrath. You know they probably did have agents, but the young players, younger pros, they didn't. The 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 agent was kind of like not really done and dusted then. So everything that you did was driven by yourself. You know everything that you had to. You know, in a way, it may be in a good way, maybe it gr- makes you grow up and build your character in a way, but you know, it's quite nerve-wracking going into a, a negotiation, isn't it, and saying, you know, when I signed my pro contract at United, it was almost like, this is what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And because, again, we're back to that, almost like that, that sort of heart rule in your head, give us the pen, you know, definitely, that mm-hmm. sounds great, but probably the worst contract I could ever sign. Maybe at that stage of my life, if I had a bit, had a bit more wisdom, I would have said, any chance of a two-year deal, or maybe even stretch it to three so I can you know, maybe sp- communicate a little bit better and say, yeah, "I can, I can get into this and set a plan out and, you know, it gives you a little bit of time to build on. Whereas the one-year deal, it's like pressure's right on you again to prove yourself. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that was, like you say, the agents now really helped with that. Whereas, you know, in our area, in our culture, it was kind of like, you know, you
0: didn't really have re- anybody representing you apart from yourself. So you had a bad back injury that, Ended your footballing career. What was, how was that experience in terms of you playing? You mentioned identity as well, and all you know is football, but you, you kind of understand that maybe there needs to be another thread to your career.
1: It was a tough one, really, because I, I knew there was something wrong with it. It was probably because I've been through this culture of like, you know, I've got to keep going, got to be macho, you've got to, you know, battle on and all that. And I knew there was something not quite right, but I knew that also that my contract was kind of coming up for renewal. And I had to try and you know play some games in order to, to to secure myself another one, and it was just steadily, Chris. I was getting like pins and needles down my arms and my legs, and I was getting uh, you know it was turning in where you were struggling to pull your socks on and stuff like that. I knew there was something right, but I, I was stupid. I kept playing with it, and it got to a stage where I remember going to Swansea City away, and my mate my mate at the time, my best friend in Exeter, Dave Cooper, he said to me. Uh, like Borley had done all the set plays and all that, I'm ready to go. And it was, we were sat in, this is where Swans used to play a ground called the Vetch Field, like their old ground. And I said to Coots before the game, I said, I'm struggling here. And he went, He said I said, Shall I tell Ballie, like, And he went, he said, You can't tell Borley now, I'll go ballistic. He said, You've done all the set pieces with you and you know what you're doing. And so I thought, Right, I'll get a load of deep heat, <laughs> you know, like that in the team. Yeah, rubbed it all over my back. And I thought I'll just try and get through it, but I was really struggling and, you know, I was played up against a lad who was quite a good footballer at the time called Andy Legg. He played on the, the left wing for Swansea. Like really talented and you know, you are like just trying to protect yourself. And then, like, after that game I said to the physio Mike Chapman, like, I've got to I've got to do something here because I'm not right. So he, he sent me to for an MRI scan and come back like And he said, like, it's in a mess. The bottom of your back's in a mess. You need you need surgery on this immediately. So it led to two operations, i had screws and plates in my spine put in <laughs> And you're thinking to yourself, like the surgeon afterwards, he said, like if you'd have had one bad tackle in that game, or you'd have fell funny, so like your, your disc could have severed severed your spinal nerves, and he said that could have been like, you know, you would have been in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And I thought to myself, like is football, if that, what am I thinking? Mm. What am I thinking about? Oh, come on, dig in and all that. And so, so that was that was that, and um, yeah, just just I think I was about twenty-one and a half, twenty-two years old. That, that's it, and you know. It, try to recover from something as severe as that you know in another problem that i had christy was the managers had changed at exeter so alan ball had gone to southampton got a job there and a lad called terry cooper had come in he was another england footballer old leeds player and it was clear that he didn't really want a lot of ball he life that's it with football as well you get a manager and they want to bring all their players in that they know and they don't want to like oh they don't want to have all the other managers staff. So it was clear from day one while I was doing my rehab, you don't really, you know, like, you know, it's like saying, oh, how's that injury going, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I knew, I knew that I felt I didn't feel welcome there. So so I, I did my rehab and I got to the end of kind of my contract and I just thought, like, I don't know. I said, I had a chat with the surgeon and he said, you're not going to, I wouldn't recommend like you playing full time football now, because it's it's quite demanding. and. I think one of the psychological things, Chrissy, that I was worried about was getting a knee in the back or something, you know, like going up for a header yeah. and so on, kneeing it. So I, I said to the surgeon and like oh, Terry Cooper at the time, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it a day. I'm gonna call it a day, full time wise, and you know maybe take my life into another direction somewhere else.
0: What was your psychological state like during that period? Well,
1: I think I think you, you, we saw talk about that grief model, are not we? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at looking at kind of the different stages of grief in a way um, you know you obviously you got the denial thing sort of thinking about you know still going out to pubs and talk, talking as though well, you're still a footballer and you know you're not you're thinking to yourself you know if I got myself fit again and do some running and do weights can I get back to the level and go course this period of denial and then I think that kind of led into a spiral of just I would say probably just lot completely lost because you know, back back in those days, football opportunities were quite thin on the ground. And you think you, it's only a 23, 24 year old sort of, sort of young man you're talking about here that we didn't have any like under 14s you could go and coach. Or it was like you had first team manager, assistant manager, physio, resi manager maybe. And you're thinking like, where, where am I going to go here? So so I remember um, a lad at Exeter at the time who's sadly gone and passed away now called Eamon Dolan, he was like the old manager. Um, he said to me, he "Could do some coaching in the community hours, which was great." But the trouble with them, Chris, is just very seasonal, like Easter, Christmas. It wasn't enough. So, so I think what from for I'd say for four years, just completely lost, went through a series of jobs. You know, just try to bring some income in. Uh, van driving, warehouse work. Uh, you know, working working nights and stuff like that, and and. Uh, yeah, just, just a period of like sort of probably drinking more than I should do, probably gambling more than I should do, probably, you know, eat, overeating a bit, it was bad, all bad habits, but the symptoms of like, you completely like, I think probably the best way to explain it is your identity has just been obliterated, you don't know where you're going now, who you are. Yeah, but probably identity crisis at that time, because you look like ex-football, not footballer anymore, mm. but anyway, it was finding something to replace that i think was the challenge that was the challenge because you know football brings you to f- incredible exhilarating things like you know scoring goals in front of away fans and like winning games and clapping fans after that there's not quite a lot to replace that afterwards once that's gone and i, I understand why people fall into voids after that you know and it's just it's just looking for direction and finding a purpose and a meaning again to go forward so so I would probably say three or four years after that. Yeah, very lost.
0: What could have been done to help you there in terms of that? Practice? I, th- I
1: think I think just more. I think just more options for support. I think to maybe maybe I just needed somebody to grab me at that time and just have a look at my options going forwards. I think you are just left. You know, like a lot of people say, well, you, you know, you're, tw- you're twenty-four years old, but you're just drifting, like, yeah, it's yeah. like you're drifting around and. I think I think the PFA are brilliant, you know, I think they did some great stuff for me, like they helped me in relation to, you know, my monies and my insurances and stuff like that. That that's fantastic. But I think I think I almost needed like careers advice then. You know, like someone to sit down and say, Right, what's your what's your background? What do you enjoy? You know, what would you like to do? And it might have saved me a few years and a drifting around, you know, trying to trying trying to find something myself. I think I think once you once you're a bit isolated and you're a bit lost and you know, of course, Chris, you've got all that free time on your hands as well, haven't you? In a day, like, that you're not doing anything. And you think to yourself, I heard this phrase once, so I thought it was, uh, was really interesting. And someone said to me, it was a doctor, actually. And he said, an idle mind is the devil's playground. And I thought that was really, that probably summed me up at the time. You've got all this time that you do, but it, it takes you down bad stuff. Like, going into pubs, drinking, gambling, you know, going down the bad stuff. And uh, I, think, I think that's probably at that time, I wish someone had just, yeah, I think to save me a year or two, just maybe say, oh, you got an appointment with the PFA or something at two o'clock, or they want to yeah. chat to you. Can you bring your CV with you? And you know, that maybe just general workshops like that, but there's nothing, mm. nothing really to tap into then.
0: How did university and the kind of the the academic journey start and begin
1: for you? Just just out of the blue, really. It was yeah. just a family member who said, you know, have you fancy Do you not fancy upskilling? You know, like doing a course. And like I say, I think university back then was, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the person at the back of the school class throwing rubbers at the teacher, <laughs> messing sure, about. Um, sure. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> or or like I think you used to call it I don't know if it still happens, wagging it or something, you know, like, oh should we go at half ten? Let's let's leave. Now I wasn't one of them, but I wasn't the one at the front, I was getting hundred percent in maths and you know, they're probably professors at physics now at Oxford. I was kind of in the middle of, a bit of an interest in football and you know, a bit of an interest in academia, you know, not not in relation to to completely like sort of ignorance and see no see no importance to it. I did, but I was just kind of in the middle group, and um, I think I think that was the that was the key thing really to sort of like maybe get my life moving again. Is, is kind of a family member saying to, me, do you fancy doing a course?" So so I went to the it was called Bolton Institute. It's the University of Bolton now. I'm just asking a staff member there, like probably on an open day or something like that. Um, he said, "We've got this kind of course that you might be interested. In, sports science. So yeah, I've obviously got a sporting interest, but it was like it's that far back, Christy, that you had to you had to be joined with something. So these days, you know, in modern universities, you can get full sports science provision, of course. But back then, you had to sort of you had to have like sports science and leisure. I enjoyed the sports science side and the fitness stuff and the conditioning and all the all the psychology, brilliant. But then the leisure stuff was very." Well, sport development and coaching—that's great. I really enjoyed that, but it's like a lot of policy, a lot of legislation to sort of learn. Anyway, so I did that, and um, that was probably the the first time I've had a inkling of maybe something I could do because I was watching the lectures and how they sort of went about their their daily routines and practices, and and I thought, you know, maybe this is something that that I could do, you know, later on down the line. So all of a sudden, then you're starting to see a little bit of maybe a bit of clarity from Hayes, you know, something become a bit clearer for me. And um, I think I think from then was kind of like, you know, maybe just got the educational bug in a way, yeah. you know, when when did my degree. And then I, I, after that, I did a PGCE straight away. So, I, you know, again, trying to just to, just to get something behind me, something behind me, some some more identity to me as a person. So, so like I say, from then I was quite lucky. I got a job straight away, a lecturer in sport at a college. But I think I think probably with with the experiences that I had in the past, yeah. I could shape that into my academic experiences and the disappointments I had in football and almost like not necessarily giving everybody academic knowledge, but
0: shaping youngsters and trying to get them ready for next steps in a way. Mm. Let's talk about your PhD then. Yeah. So obviously you're very influenced by obviously your experiences as a footballer, injury and dis- disappointment as you kind of alluded to throughout. Um so what was the idea, how did it come about, and, and how did you uh, go through the stages of completing it?
1: Yeah, well, it's always something that, I see a lot of academic literature that looks at academy movement and, you know, the academy journey in a way. And anything, I suppose, from the 9s to 16s and onwards, up until you become a pro. But then because of different reasons, you know, maybe issues of confidentiality and trust and access, of course. Not a lot of research in the pro world, so I thought maybe I could sort of start see a sea change in that area, and almost you know try and do a little bit of work within you know the professional game just to try and shine a little bit of light on it. Because it, you know, as you correctly said, Chrissy, I think what's quite concerning for me from a, from a lived perspective, but still reading, you know, so many athletes, so many pro footballers are having challenges, difficulties, and almost like from a research perspective, thinking. Where are these challenges and difficulties coming from? You know, from a, from a neutral observer, from somebody who looks at it from the from the outside in. You're almost thinking, well, they're on big salaries, they're keeping fit every day, uh, got a lot of esteem, a lot of public esteem. They, you know, it's it's a fantastic life, but then suffering with like you know mental health problems and challenges and difficulties. So, so I think I think the idea really from from my PhD was trying to explore that. And trying to shed a little bit of light on, you know, what, why this might be happening, drawing on both my own experiences and then, you know, talking to, to pros in, in the game, in the, in, in the modern game, like you're a lot closer to the, the, game than than I kind of was like many many years ago. And you are kind of thinking, well, that was happening to me sort of 1995. Why is it still happening? Mm. You know, 2022. That can't be right. So it's just trying to trying to do a little bit of work in relation to, you know, what what, what could be potentially Helpful in order to try and support players in their journey through professional football and, and, and out of the other side
0: You were you, you mentioned then around the salaries and the opportunities that you had uh, In your career in comparison to maybe the external outcomes we see within the modern game today But we still have these potential issues around mental health and mental well-being Do you think it's changed to some some extent in terms of how we? Uh, recognize issues around mental health and how we can, you know, ensure that, you know, yeah. players are protected within, you know, the, the, the demographic yeah. of football. I, th- I think like anything else, Christy, like, you know,
1: or c- cultural change or things that that are brought in to change something never happen overnight. And uh, I think at the moment you could probably say that there's a lot of good things happening and a lot of more awareness. And, you know, you see a lot of external support... Uh, organisations going into football clubs to deliver mental health workshops and things like that so i think we're getting more understanding of it i think that like anything else so there's always more that can be done i think there's always more that can be achieved and but you know a lot of it chris i think what i learned is it is really down to choice isn't it you know everybody's got a choice and I've just just looking at the the papers earlier on today you know jack Grealish is coming under a little bit of fire for his choice of friends while he's away, or what he's got around him at the moment and uh, and you're right, I think what we do know with football is it does attract people that are not necessarily in your corner a lot. they like to be around you you know they they like to be around you, they like to be almost like fame touches, I call them in a way, mm. but I think what you've got to recognize, Christy is to try and get good people around you i think I think that's really important you know pe- people always want to be around you for a pint or you know if you're you are time it's different in the modern game but you know a lot of people be always minding for tickets and for things you know get stuff and things like that but you know is, is that for the right reason sometimes
0: or you know where are those when you hit your
1: moments of difficulty they're nowhere to be seen.
0: So, I think, so it's more life in general really obviously yeah. we're looking at it from a, the lens of football but could, you know that could branch out in, in with people in business, Absolutely. people that have Absolutely. Um, Wealth, you know, I'm yeah, sure that there's a, a lot of alignment within that yeah, as well. Yeah, very, very much so. There's a lot of transferability,
1: aren't they, yeah, within, yeah. you know, within within different parts of research, different types of research. So, but I think what's quite surprising in my PhD is there's still a lot of work I think that can be done. You know, I think one of the questions that I asked the players were, you know, do you feel as though you're supported enough within football clubs when you have critical moments? And a quite a high percentage said that they weren't. They felt yeah. as though. Uh, they couldn't really go to anybody else, so I mean, it's quite interested in that because you're thinking that, you know, what? Why is that? Is it still, to this day, a little bit of machoism, a little bit of ruthlessness, a little bit of culture that's in there that you can't show weakness or you can't open up, or you know, something's stopping it? Mm-hmm. Because out of a, my sample of two hundred and twelve players, quite a high percentage said they prefer to work things out themselves. So, so it's still there. There's still that element that maybe needs to be needs to be broke down a little bit and um I think I think some of the findings can maybe h- be used to drive maybe change in a way you'd like to maybe get some more applied presentations out there, you know, in different conferences and maybe getting into clubs and stuff like that. and you' know, like a lot of ex football, just speaking it from speaking to players and from from a from a lived experience as well. but I think one thing that's quite important, I think, like anything else is is that, it's that broadening your identity element, isn't it making sure that mm. you're not just that? That thing, in a way, that's, and I think that thing is harder to give up. Or when you're getting lots of adulation and lots of you're winning lots of awards and accolades, you know. It, 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 but football, it's it can change so quick. That's the that's the thing with it. And if you hang on and hang on to that thing and not develop yourself more broadly around it, I think when moments do hit, come from a mental health perspective, that that can be quite challenging. So.
0: Obviously you are now a doctor, congratulations. What's the, the future then for, you, for Alan? Do you want to continue down this route in terms of player welfare, player support, research? You're doing your, your um, commentary part-time as well uh, with BBC Devon, so is, is this the kind of route you want to continue down or is, it, is there anything that you, you've thought about just, just on reflection of maybe your career where you might see yourself in the, in, in the future?
1: Yeah, I think um, been working with like Dr. Richard Elliot and Tom Buck, who you, you know, Chris is a colleague. I was on on a, on a sort of a project recently in getting a sort of a elite player care certificate out there. So we sort of wrote that, and we're just coming to the end, you know, in early July of getting the first cohort through on that. So I had the opportunity as well to go to Miami uh, a couple of weeks ago to deliver a player care certificate out there as well in the states, which is fantastic. So I kind of like keep keep looking to hopefully grow that. You know, I think the, uh, you know, the university has got ambitions to try and get a player care master's on board. And and it's it just nice because I can just tap into sort of some of the experiences and then some of the writing that I've done to sort of align that in the right manner. Mm-hmm. I think the commentary is fantastic. I really enjoy that. Um, you know, I'd get the opportunity to comment uh, and, and summarise Exeter City games when they come up into the north, so they, they they had a good season last season, they managed to finish second in League Two and got promoted to League One, so an opportunity to get to some new grounds this season, hopefully. Uh, I'm also, I'd say about two-thirds of the way through a book at the moment that I'm writing with somebody uh, in relation to quite a range of issues, really. Transitions and critical moments and my journey and some tales of Fergie, some tales of Gigzy, A.D. Doherty, who I spoke about earlier. So that's called From Red to Red. So from Red, United to Red as a doctor, R-E-A-D. So I'll just weave, weave in some tales on that. So I've done about five chapters on that so far. So that, that's sort of a project that I'll be keeping going on as well. And then I'd probably say it, Christy, that maybe looking to get into a club somewhere, whether that's part-time, uh, that might be the the ambitions for my next steps you know if that's manchester united that would be fantastic because it almost like a that would be like a fulfilling a prophecy in a way it's almost like closing a loop isn't it and um you you, you never know um you know cuz I'm a sort of probably a red at heart you know a, a man united fan could i give the same uh Application and dedication to maybe working with Liverpool's youngsters or City's youngsters.
0: But maybe, maybe
1: not. Maybe not. Maybe not. So, so that's the the problem with that sort of attitude, though, Chris. It, it closes down to very narrow. And uh, but you never know. You know, something like that would be quite good, especially with the with me doctorate and me player care background and my experiences. You know, I'm I'm sure I could provide some good advice and guidance to both academy players and, and young pros and you know even first team players as well you know because I know the pitfalls and all the problems and all the issues and I know that if you do take your eye off the ball just for one second in professional football you know you can it can give you a
0: kick in. So last question Alan so I always ask each guest this question if you could give your 18 year old self some advice what would that be? It's
1: a good question, it going back
0: into the past and you know, and it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could
1: rewind our lives and start again. But I think probably from a football perspective, Christy, at United, if I was being totally candid, totally honest, probably believed in myself a bit more. I should have been knocking on Fergie's door. I sh- I should have had that. Almost like I'll say a bit of extra swagger amongst yourself, but I think you need that to get on. And I think I think with my personality you know, maybe a bit shy and sensitive. It didn't really pay off at the time. I don't say that there's anything wrong with shy and sensitive, but you have to develop other components to you, to yourself as well. And uh, and I think I think sort of knocking knocking on Fergie's door, all right, go on, have a, can I have a chat with you, Eric, and all that. Maybe I should have just had that a little bit more courage to to fight that and 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 sort it out. But but I think I think from that, I think probably one of the most pleasing things that I could. Uh, reflect on is, is m- moving on from that I think it was Erne- Ernest Hemingway who said a man can be destroyed but not beaten and I think I think that's probably a good way to to maybe finish it. Thank you so much right, cheers, Chris, cheers, thank cheers, you. <laughs>